Today is Friday, November 18th, and this is Embodying the Liberal Arts. And today I'm speaking with Kyle Lasardo. And uh, I've known Kyle for four years. Um, he was my uh, first year advisee or pre-major advisee. Um, and now he has become a math and education major, and he is going to be a Bowdoin teacher scholar next semester, and he'll be student teaching um, in a middle school in Portland, Maine. And so Kyle's from Harrisville, Rhode Island, and he um, is an offensive lineman for the Bowdoin College football team, and he is also the guitarist for the student band Duck Blind. And so today we're going to talk about uh, three questions. Um, what's most important to you? Um, what does a liberal arts education mean to you? And what do you wish your professors knew about you? And the other thing that we're going to be doing today, just so folks know what's going on, is that um, Kyle and I have known each other for a long time, and um, I respect him very much, and we are going to talk about his conservatism, um, particularly after this election, um, and sort of just what that means and what motivates it and, um, and how he participated um, or not in this election. Um, and so I want to make it clear that I think it's so important that he's willing to sit down with me um, and have this conversation and that that signals a lot about his character and I will be writing lots of letters of recommendation for him to become a teacher. He's a spectacular math teacher and um, you know I think that it's important for folks to also recognize that this is a 22 year old person whose views and behaviors are probably still evolving and so it doesn't mean that they were wrong and needed to change but just that um, you know, this conversation may not be the final um, place where Kyle depends on or ends up deciding where he is in terms of his political participation and commitments. All right, enough caveats and disclaimers. Hi, Kyle. How's it going? All right, so thanks for talking to me today. Okay. And so let's first just start with like what's most important to you? Um. One of the things that comes through with teaching is being able to, especially in math teaching, is being able to articulate your point and stand by it. Um, one of the strategies that I use while teaching is just kind of playing that devil's advocate with students, whether or not they have the right answer, to be able to defend um, what they've put down on the paper and truly have that deeper understanding of what's going on. So... Um, with that, it allows it allows the students to kind of think through back through the problem, um, think about why they did what they did, and more often than not, if they made a mistake, they'll catch it. Mm. And if they didn't make a mistake, and I knew they were right to begin with, or if I had made a mistake mm. while looking at um, their answers, it's that moment of clarity, like yeah, like I did do it right, and mm. it kind of dispels that doubt that they had um, to begin with, and gives them a little bit more confidence. That's really cool. So is that something, I don't know if I've even heard you say this before, so it's kind of great to be able to hear that idea. And so I'm curious, um, 
is part of that desire the idea that even if you agree with someone or even if you think that you're right that um, an idea worth having is worth defending yeah. is that part of yeah. where where that's coming from it's just yeah it's the ability to if you're going to form an opinion make sure you can back it up mm. and be open to other people's interpretations of mm -hmm. your opinion because like I said, regardless of whether or not you have the right answer, mm -hmm. there's a reason you put that down, and it could have been mm -hmm. a silly algebra math error, or it could be that you're not understanding the concept mm. that was mm -hmm. that was taught to you, um, and it's just a total shot in the dark as to what what you're putting down. And I mean, going to political views. If you form an opinion, more often than not, you're able to relate to your personal life why you have that opinion. Mm. So, it's, in that case, people can challenge you a little bit more because it's more opinion-based and not yep. as factual. I was going to ask you about that. Yeah. If, if there's a difference between, you know, like there are times in math where certainly there are more than, there's more than one right answer, right? Yeah. But sometimes in math, there is a right answer. And no matter how you defend it, you or are able to, or how you articulate how you got somewhere, it matters if you ended up in the right place. Yeah, let me just jump back yeah. to that real quick. Is like going off the um, the whole thing. Whereas if a student were to have the right answer, and I was to challenge them on it, it's giving them that confidence. Even though I'm a more of an author, authoritative figure, mm -hmm. um, with the subject that they're learning and I bring more to the table and that more often than not they assume that my answer is right and if I'm challenging them then they must be doing something wrong but to be able to give them that confidence that they are doing that right to um, have a better grasp of the, the subject. That's um, really cool so you're saying like you don't want them just to defer to your authority right? Um, and say oh he seems pleased with this so all is well yeah. that no matter what they need to develop their own confidence. Yeah because I know I've, I've made mistakes myself when tutoring yep. students um, working in the school this past uh, semester I, it's just silly math errors that everyone makes and I've seen teachers throughout my um, career as being a student, whether it's at middle school, high school, college level, make mistakes on the boards. And um, if being in, being in the college here and being in higher level math courses that have really challenged me that I didn't get that challenge in high school. And if the professor makes a math error on the board, then it can totally distort your perspective with um, the concept that you're trying to learn. Mm. So being able to have students that are confident enough to volunteer um, and clarify for the, the rest of the students that may not be as confident with the material mm -hmm. um, helps. And I think that's, that's something that I've learned uh, from the back row with that in my experience mm -hmm. and something that I try to um, shy out yeah. while teaching. Do you sit in the back row? No. Okay. <laughs> Um, so I didn't mean to cut you off, but I just wanted to go back because I thought yeah. that that was an important distinction um, about, like, are there times where there's fact and there's times when there's opinion and how do we work that out? Um, how does this, 
idea about um, being confident in your answers and how you got there or feeling as though you're able to clearly articulate your beliefs, how does that play out in your life? And it doesn't have to be a political thing, but in general. It's you, totally like, yeah. Yeah, like, just, so how does that play out for you? Just being able to go with your gut on decisions that may even be like petty decisions that don't necessarily affect the rest of your life. Mm-hmm. Sometimes you're going to have to make decisions that um, are very big decisions as to either mm-hmm. where you end up in school um, where, which job offer you take, etc. But um, being able to really listen to your inner self and know what mm. feels right for you. And by teasing out that second guessing and instilling confidence, you get that confidence within yourself and your opinion. And, um, huh. yeah. Almost kind of like a muscle memory right. uh, for your conscience or your brain or yeah. how they're connecting. I almost hear you saying like, that's the sort of connecting the intellect with the intuition right. and putting that together. That's really great. Um, have you felt, so as someone who is, um, identifies with more conservative um, values, is that, does that feel like the right thing to say? Or, yeah. or conservative political beliefs. Do you feel, feel as though you have had the confidence to express those at Bowdoin. I've definitely heard people say that Bowdoin is a place where um, where those who may have more conservative perspectives feel silenced or marginalized. And right. I'm, I'm curious if if what's most important to you is to have confidence in your opinions like, or, or your um, beliefs, how that's manifested for you in this sort of political climate. Right, yeah, so with opinions, especially those that could be sensitive to others, I feel like if, and this part is just, if you feel like you've offended somebody, go say you're sorry. It doesn't matter what your opinion is. Um, Being a white male conservative on this campus has kind of at some point felt like I was walking on eggshells, but at the same time, it's not nobody's coming up to me and forcing me to tell me or I tell them what my opinion is. And through my experiences here, I found some people that have the same beliefs as me and some people that don't. And we've discussed um, issues of political tension together. Mm. And we're able to have that confidence in our small debates, but it's more within a friend group than it is the greater picture of Bowdoin. And... I, I feel like at, at that point, that's really all I'm concerned with is being able to talk with my friends. I haven't, I haven't gone out to either side of the political spectrum at Bowdoin in a public way mm-hmm. to express my opinion. Um, more out of the cur- courtesy to not make others feel uncomfortable because I, like, I don't want to come off as intimidating with my... Uh, political beliefs hmm. and um, hmm. yeah. I'm hearing um, in what you're saying this idea of sort of um, decency 
Right, like of common de- like there, yeah. there, there's a sense where I hear from you like there's common decency that no matter what, if you hurt someone's feelings, you tell them you're sorry, right? Yeah. Um, and and you follow up or right. um, or you can have and it sounds to me like your friend group is not homogenous in their right. beliefs. Is that correct? Yeah. And and that within con- within groups of trust, you're able to fully express that. Yeah, yeah. To, to have those conversations. And another thing too is when we have these big open forums at Bowdoin, I feel like at that point it's an argument and there's always some point in an argument to where whatever you say the other side's not going to consider regardless of what side you're on. Um, and that's usually when people say take that step back, take a breath mm. and then talk about it and just collect your ideas. Mm-hmm. So at that point, people may be pissed off as to what may be the hot topic, and going and bringing an alternate perspective may be hurtful than to allow them to vent. Mm. Um, since you've been in my teaching classes, you know, you, you've been thinking about uh, teaching methods and you're thinking about building curriculum, and you have an idea of like, okay, maybe the public forum is... A, needs to be a place to vent, um, and that might serve an important function, but it's probably not going to be the place where we sit and talk through differences. Right. Um, what would you do at a place like Bowdoin where we probably need to talk through some differences? Right. How, what, what kind of experience would you design? Um, or, w- or do you think it can't be designed? In- I think one-on-ones. Mm-hmm which kind of seems unrealistic at a place like Bowdoin because there are so many different opinions. But that would be... It's harder to gain that mob mentality and completely shut out the other side's ideas when you're one-on-one with somebody, Um, especially if it's a conservative student in a liberal teacher's classroom Mm -hmm. um, within the Gov department. That can be very intimidating. Mm -hmm. And at that point, they may not have the confidence to stand up in front of the class and say, mm-hmm. I disagree, um, which I've heard some of my personal friends um, uh. express that concern. But if there were small groups that, almost like a debate club, could get together mm-hmm. and be able to have that, those conversations on either side, um, I think... Or no, on all sides, yeah, like, or, all, yeah. or multiple positions that might not even be sides at Correct. that point. Yeah, right? and just be able to offer those mm-hmm. opinions and give them um, the authenticity that they need. But it still needs to be that controlled setting to where people don't feel like they're being overwhelmed by the other side, or yeah. people don't feel like, well, the other side's not going to listen to me, so I'm just going to say as much as I can. They need to. Right. They need to understand that. The other side, whatever opposing view that the other people have mm-hmm. is just as authentic to them as their personal opinion is to them. So, do you? So, do you think because of this environment needs to be sort of controlled in the sense of guy, in the sense of pedagogical? It sounds like to me, right? Like it needs. Like, do you think that this is something I think first, that faculty and staff? at Bowdoin need to facilitate for students, or do you think students need to do this for themselves? I think it could be a little bit of both, because mm-hmm. with the issues that are at hand, um, faculty plays just as much as a role, but it's the whole intimidation factor of 
Well, what's a portion of Bowdoin students or Bowdoin faculty mm-hmm. that side with this? And, well, if there's that many people, how is my view going to be taken by them? Right. And then if they get that mob mentality because they're in right. a giant room with where everybody is included, yeah, it just may not even seem valid to say something because you have close to a thousand people right. or more right. um, disagreeing with you, which yeah. can be very intimidating. So bringing it down to smaller settings um, definitely yeah. helps. Okay, so and if you are like, we can't have this conversation right now, um, but so I am sort of unabashedly and fairly transparently or extremely transparently left of left. Do you think that that's true? I mean, do you feel that way? I didn't invest myself in... Huh? Dis- I said I didn't invest my time in discovering wh- where you sat. Really? But you didn't feel, like, slapped around by... No. My- really? Yeah. That's so fascinating to me, right? Because, so, Kyle, you've taken four, five, six classes yeah. with... Like, ridiculous. And so, right, and I just feel like... Um, I don't try to I don't try to convince students of a political view, but I also don't try yeah. to um, I, do, I don't try to uh, sort of posture some sort of neutrality, you know. Right. Um, so I was just curious, like if you felt silent, if you felt silenced in my classes, or yeah. Yeah. huh? I mean, there there are some times where issues have popped up that I felt I didn't have enough um, justification or personal research on the topic to where I could confidently say something. Uh. But as far as assignments for you, if I did the research and I believed something, I was going to write it down. And if you disagreed, then I could um, go back to the research and show you why. Uh. And I felt fairly confident in being able to convince you of my opinion. And if it was opinion-based... yeah then it's it's kind of up to you on how you grade that. Yeah. But I wasn't intimidated to put down my opinion. Huh. In the, Especially, again, it's that one-on-one um, teacher-to-student interaction mm-hmm. with something that the rest of the class isn't going to see. Especially if it is around a sensitive issue. Um, breaks down that, that wall of, well, how, how is the rest of the class right. going to take this? And But if it's something... Again, where I've judged that I haven't done enough research to make mm. an educated statement, and the class seems very sensitive to this, and feel they feel like they need to talk about mm-hmm. it, I'm not going to interject and say, no, we shouldn't talk about mm. this, mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. that's how they feel, and that they're entitled to that, just as much as I'm entitled to my opinion. Hmm. I'm curious, um, I'm just thinking about how do you, so, you know, how do you feel about this election cycle, you know, the election and the results of the election, because, you know, things that you are talking about, this idea of decency, of respect for others' feelings, of respect for others' beliefs, of a desire to identify the truth or facts, (laughs) seem, these seem like things that were um, not embodied by our president-elect, and in terms of respect for others and treating them with dignity, right. or a respect for facts, yeah. often. 
Um, and so what has been your sort of read on what's going on? Well, to start off, like I'm completely neutral. I don't, I don't care really with this election. I didn't do enough research on my own um, through time and partially laziness to make an educated decision to vote. Um, with regards to the result, if you don't fully side with one party or the other, you're not going to be put in that position where you gain the Republican or Democratic ballot. Trump did start as an independent, and he did move to the Republican ballot, which may or may not have forced him to say stuff that was absolutely ridiculous and factually wrong. But I feel like either candidate was forced to be 100% on their side of the ballot to be able to gain that that entry point mm -hmm. into the election. Um, so with politics, that's that's really how I feel that works, is that you're forced into saying something. And the degree of ridiculousness that has come up with this election, I feel was that reality show mentality to where if I can say, and it, it was a business move on his part, is to say if I can make up something that sides with Republican beliefs and is outright ridiculous to where all of the news programs on either side are going to air this because they either agree with it wholly because they're a conservative news group or they completely disagree and they're going to point out why. Being able to put Trump's name on both sides of the spectrums and have that reiterated to people time and time again, um, mm. I, th I think is what led to his success is just that, that association of name with president, regardless of whether or not mm. they were listening to the, com the people of America were listening to the conversations. I think it was totally business as, as to some of, maybe some degree of where he brought his statements. Yeah. Um, regardless of whether or not they were wrong, that's, sometimes it's opinion-based, sometimes it's, it can be checked factually, and right. it was wrong, but again, it's a business move to have his name be broadcasted on both sides, mm. and people who aren't necessarily listening because they're either in the car, in a waiting room, they're hearing the word Trump, and they're mm. hearing the word president, which they're immediately going to pick up on, and they may not hear the whole story, but they're going to hear that. So, I get, I'm, I think I'm just going to not maybe take on the you didn't vote bit, because I don't, I want to make sure we don't have a hour-long podcast, but, but, but one of the th if you want to incorporate that into any of your response, I'm just thinking about, like, oh my gosh, like, for me, like, my civic, like, you know, where I yeah. take my civic responsibility so seriously, and I have to vote, and there's no neutral, and you have to do, you know, you have to do your duty, and, you know, I vote in every election if it's just for a school board or something, you know, and especially because it's school board, because I'm an education professor, but, I don't know. So there's something about that where I'm like, what? How does that happen? Um, but 
here's the other piece that I want to tack onto that that sort of makes it a more grounded conversation rather than the theoretical one about voting or not right. voting. Is so you this um, entire semester have been working in a school that has a, a, a ridiculous degree of, or a wonderful degree, I shouldn't say ridiculous, but like I mean ridiculous in its like sheer numbers is amazing. Um, diversity in terms of um, national origin, religion, uh, gender identity, ability, you know, uh, physical, um, you know, physical ability or disability, um, religious, you know, that, so there are tons of Muslim kids, there are tons of refugees, um, and so, and you're going to teach in that school again. How do you take a neutral stance in that case? They're just kids, why? Why classify them by that? But I think there's, as far as school, it's yeah. totally. How are they? How are they a student? Mm-hmm. Are they a good student? Bad student? They, do they need work? Um, but they're just they're just students, mm-hmm. and especially in the eyes of teachers, that's what I feel like needs to be the main focus is at school. These kids are here to learn. Um, how can I help them achieve mm-hmm. that goal? They don't need to be classified in that case. What about, though, that if conservative, or at least the person who's representing conservative views at this moment, this is, I'm just curious like how, yeah. you square, how you square this. If the person who is... Um, representing conservative views um, is stimulating um, acts and conversations um, that violate decency, right? So the kid that you are teaching that you want to say is just a kid, you know, is just a kid and it's the, this is a learner who needs X or Y or Z. Um, even if you don't want to categorize them, they feel categorized, right? You know, and not by you necessarily, but that they have been called out, you know, in the media. They've been maybe, like, just told to go home, but go back to your country as they walk to school. Right. Um, what does it mean to be neutral in that case? I mean... In that, if they're unjustly treated because of that, that means that somebody's not viewing them as a student. That means they're putting them in a different category. So being able to work with them one-on-one and being able to create that safe environment from day one with the students to meet basic needs and to make them feel comfortable within the class. And again, like instilling confidence within their own opinions, regardless of whether or not it's math or political or whatever it may be, hmm. um, I feel like we'll give them enough confidence to be able to come talk to me and if not another another teacher that they feel comfortable with. Because mm-hmm. I know 
every year that I've been in school, there's always been one teacher, one professor that I feel the most comfortable mm -hmm. going to talk to. And that's going to exist for a majority of students without the additional um, creating that fun and engaging learning environment that mm -hmm. is also, I feel safe here. I feel like my opinion is valued here and mm. I feel like I can excel here. I feel like I can go to the teacher with any type of problem regardless of whether it's in school, in this class, or at home, I, or on a greater scale. Hmm. Interesting. Do you, and so I'm just curious about, about this question now, do you agree that a person's experience of the world will be different based on some of these categories? Everyone's unique. Everyone brings their own experience to that. Mm -hmm. So, yes. And mm -hmm. there are privileges mm -hmm. that some people will take advantage of and some yeah. people don't have the ability to. But yeah. it's that whole equity, giving, meeting students' needs regardless of what they are. Hmm. Um, and morals mm -hmm. are... theoretically opinion-based, but mm -hmm. it's, I feel like the line is more definitive mm -hmm. in school with me, being able to meet students' needs and being able to recognize whether a student feels comfortable or not. Yeah. And regardless of where your morals stand, if you notice that a student feels uncomfortable in your class, and if you don't even have the ability to um, make them feel comfortable, because of inexperience, mm. I'm sure there's another teacher that you could refer to or talk with mm. and somehow find, find help for that student to make them feel more comfortable, to make their needs help met. Hmm. It's so fascinating to me that, like, that you've, and, and in some ways I'm glad, there's a, like, part of me where it's like, oh, this is a failure of my teaching if I've been trying to tell you, you know, for four years, like, that we need to make things culturally relevant. And in interesting ways, you have made a very culturally relevant in terms of, like, place-based um, curriculum for your math curriculum. Um, but, yeah, but so there's a part of me where I'm like, oh, my goodness, the fact that you've not taken on like this sort of sociological, like accepting these social sociological categories as sort of incredibly pertinent to bring into the classroom is a failure of my teaching. And then there's another part of me that says, right on, like you've done what you said you were able to do, which is hold on to, um, hold on to beliefs that you bring, but still um, honor the values of the core values of our education department. Well done. Thank you. Um, I think, I don't know. Like, I just don't even, like, for me, I'm sort of like, okay. Like, I think I just need to let this sit okay. and have us say, like, and let's see more. Like, let's keep learning more about that. Right. Um, so what does a liberal arts education mean to you? In the context of Bowdoin, in yeah. my experience, yeah. is just the total experience of everything that this college has to offer, um, experience in different fields, mm -hmm. um, 
being able to play in a band as well as play football as well as take courses that deal with uh, food and wine whereas <laughs> other courses I've taken are um, teacher practices and then there are the courses where it's math that I wouldn't even I'd give you the courtesy to not try to explain <laughs> where it even comes from um, I mean music music courses that oh, deal yeah. with uh, the music within uh, cinematography and mm. how George Lucas has completely given anything that you hear within Star Wars is tied throughout all seven and almost well soon to be eight movies and eventually nine but every character has their own theme and being able to engage and broaden your view of the world and test your experiences and each discipline um, is more of the liberal arts perspective than a political view. Mm. Um, and so you wish, what do you wish your professors knew about you? Um, I think it's hard to say. I mean, I really don't, if, if professors ask questions, that means that they're curious to know about you personally, where I would answer freely um, to them. And again, it's them taking an interest in you as a person versus you as a student in their class. Um, if the professor's willing to take the time of day, I'd gladly share, because that means that it's worth something to them as well as to the student and um, again, that's that's something that I would I would share with them. But I don't. I think it goes back to my whole neutrality is to where I'm not gonna. I'm not gonna tell people my opinions if they're not asking to hear them. So I'm not gonna go. Out of my way to be like this is something you need to know about me, mm -hmm. unless if it's something that is a need that needs to be met for me. Mm -hmm. um, but. I do like to create that personal, like a personal relationship, and take the initiative within that um, professor-student dialect by introducing myself on the first day, making sure I sit somewhere near the front, so that way they know me, and it it can help me within the class to either gain the benefit of the doubt if I have some extenuating circumstance that comes up to where I'm not able to finish an assignment on time that I'm not the degenerate sitting in the back of the class that <laughs> for whatever reason didn't introduce themselves, sat there because that was the last seat or because they're not engaged and it's a credit defail class that they need to just get the credit for. So, Thank you so much for being willing to talk to me today. Okay. And... Uh, yeah, this wasn't as hard as I thought it was going to be. Was it hard for you? No. I had to take a few days, though. I couldn't, I couldn't, I wasn't, I wasn't actually sure, I think I told you the other day, that I wasn't sure what, how you had voted, and I didn't know, I still don't know if we would be able to have this conversation if you told me you voted for Trump. Right. So I'm, I'm just, I guess we don't have to talk about that, though, because it didn't happen, so... Um, maybe my next, uh, at some point, my next, uh, podcast will be with someone who did vote for Trump. So, uh, if I know you and you did, 
come talk to me, but make sure I'm like drinking some herbal tea or something. Thanks, Kyle. You're welcome.